Well, good morning, Chapel family. It's so good to be with you this morning, and I hope whether you are an old geezer and old enough to remember that song when it was new, or whether you're young and you've never heard that before and it sounds kind of strange to you, I hope that regardless that the testimony of that song is your story, that Jesus Christ has come into your heart, into your life, and He has brought into your life heaven, the, the glories uh, of God have filled your life and, it, and that He is in the process of, of changing and growing and working in you. We're beginning a new study today, as has already been said. We're in the book of Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham, and we're starting in Genesis chapter 12, and over the next 10 weeks we'll be uh, going through chapter 21. I wonder this morning if you are a person who likes adventures. Just when I say that, some of you think, yeah, and to you, adventures means something like uh, rock climbing. When I say adventure, maybe you think about hiking the Himalayas. Or maybe you think about hang gliding. I hear it's easy and anybody can do that. Or maybe it comes to mind is whitewater rafting. I've done that a couple of times. I think that's a blast. I have some dear cousins. She and her husband, both of them are doctors. They live up in Washington State. And a few years ago, one hot, muggy July afternoon, I got a phone call from my cousin Nancy. And and, uh, she said, hey, we're here in St. Louis. They had come here for an adventure. They were, uh, the next day, they were going to go out and she, her husband, and their two kids were going to bike from St. Charles to Kansas City on the Katy Trail. And I thought, in July, <laughs> in Missouri, and you're from Washington, and you've got two young teenagers. You know, as we were out to dinner that night, I thought, very soon I'll receive a phone call from them taking us up on the offer, and uh, I'll go pick them up, rescue them, and take them to the Lake of the Ozarks, and we'll finish out their vacation there. Do you know, they never called. They finished the trip because they are adventurous. And they said, you know, it was an adventure, and they have never talked about coming back to Missouri. <laughs> so, some of you are into adventures, like my cousin. Some of you have a different view of adventuring. To you, going to the mall is an adventure. Going in search of treasure. Some of you, to you, adventure is trying out a new restaurant. (laughs) That one would be an adventure. Adventures come in lots of different forms, but in my mind, all adventures share a few things in common. An adventure is a departure from the norm. An adventure involves some risk. There's some cost, potential loss that comes along with it. There's risk. An adventure involves some uncertainty. You're never quite really sure what you're going to encounter along the way or what may be at the end. An adventure always at least has the promise of a reward. The reward may be just the view that you get at the top of the mountain or it might be a prize, or it might just be a sense of accomplishment. But departing from the norm, risk, uncertainty, 
a reward. Those things to me, in my mind, make up an adventure. We owe great debt to adventurers, for it is such folks who have blazed trails to new lands and they've mapped routes and they founded civilizations and their, their exploits have led to great discoveries. Today, as we begin to look at the life of Abraham, we look at a great adventurer. He is one of the most influential men of history. And I think next to Jesus Christ, He is the most significant and the most talked about person in the Bible. Over 250 instances I can come up with where we find Abraham discussed in the Scriptures. The book of Genesis where our story of Abraham is found covers a period of some 2,000 years of human history and yet a full over a fourth of this book is dedicated to the life of this one man. And so in Scripture he is significant. And as we come here to Genesis chapter 12 and we begin his story, I hope that today and over the next ten weeks or so that we spend in this in this study that you will not only be blessed, but you will be encouraged and you will be challenged by the life of this great adventurer, Abraham. Follow along with me. This morning we're only going to cover the first nine verses of chapter 12. So I'm going to read those if you'll just follow along. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great oak tree, or excuse me, the great tree at Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So much we could say about his life this morning, but... Uh, I just want to call our attention really to three things in Abram's life this morning. The call of Abram, the obedience of Abram, and the blessing of Abram. And first I want to just note that his name here is Abram, and yet we've been calling him Abraham. Don't let that frustrate you or confuse you. His name is Abram, and we'll see in chapter 17 that God changes his name to Abraham, and there's a whole story to that, and we'll see that when we get there. But Abram, Abraham, same person. The story begins with a call. 
God calls Abraham to follow Him. He calls him to an adventure. And in the process of this in this call, God gives two commands to Abraham. And each of the commands is accompanied with three promises. The first command, God says to follow Me. God, God wants Abram to, in the process of following, He is going to leave. He's going to depart from one place and He's going to go somewhere else. He says, I want you to leave everything that's familiar. He says, in, if you'll notice there in verse 1, leave your country. Your country is the, the land, the surroundings, the environment, the place where you live. He also says you're going to leave your people. Some of your translations may say your relatives. He's, going to, he's supposed to leave his family, his friends, his culture. He also says leave your father's household. place you've grown up, leave your security. Probably as well your economic, uh, your economic security. and All of that, he says, goes behind. And go to a land, God says, I will show you. Then He says, God says, you do that and I will. God says, I will step in. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Then He goes on, and it doesn't read this way very well in the English. In, the, in our translation, most of your translations, it says, and you will be a blessing, but it's clear in the, in the original Hebrew, it is a command. Be a blessing. Abraham is to, to go out and to bless people by being God's man, by being His messenger. So that's the second command and God follows that with three more promises. I will then bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So God has laid out before Abraham a proposal which is a great promise. He's promised a land that I will show you. It's going to be your land, seed, descendants, a nation, that is. And He promises a blessing, a land, a seed, and a blessing. Later, this promise will become known as the Abrahamic Covenant. It's not called a covenant here, but we'll get over to chapter 15, later in chapter 17, and God makes it a covenant, a contract. And as Abram's story unfolds through from here from Genesis 12 and on, God reveals more and more about this and explains more and builds upon this promise that He lays out in these three verses here. This great promise then we will find through the Scripture. It really is the thread that runs through the Scriptures and ties the, the Scriptures together. Here as God makes this promise to Abram, He begins to reveal the, and unfold the mystery of God's gracious plan to redeem and rescue fallen men. Through Abram, God brings, you see, a people, the Jews, through whom ultimately and eventually He will send His Son, Jesus, the Messiah, the Promised One, who becomes the payment for man's sin. And so that, as John 3.16 says, whoever believes on Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is 
the purpose that God is initiating here with Abraham. It's the plan and it is the great work He is doing and it's the great invitation to you today that God is working to bring a Savior and He invites you. He says, I sent My Son so whoever believes in Him will not have perished but have everlasting life. And He's calling to you today even like He called Abraham and God is saying, would you believe in Me? Believe in My Son. Trust in Him and have everlasting life. So this story is of great interest to us because you and I are among the all the peoples of the earth there at the end of verse 3 who are blessed through the promise that God makes here to Abraham some 4,100 years ago. All of us who trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are the fulfillment. We are the, the end of this whole promise. We are the... the, we are the the fruit that has grown up out of the seeds that God planted right here with Abraham. We're connected to this story. It is the beginning of our story in so many ways. And so that's the first part of this passage. And then it moves from the call of Abraham to the... or the call of Abram, it moves to the, um, to the obedience of Abram. In verse 4 it says, So Abram left. As the Lord told him, Abram obeys. It's truly a remarkable thing when you think about it that he did. That he believed God and he stepped out because that was a difficult thing to do. God has asked him to, to leave. And we go, as we go on, we read that Abraham here in verse 4, at the end of 4, it says he was 75 years old when he set out. Can you imagine Seventy-five years old. Now, we can say that Abraham lived a long time. He didn't, he didn't die at 85 or 95 or even 105. We find out that actually he lived to 175. So 75 is young. Well, not quite. 75 is still middle age, you see. And those of us who are middle age, we can start thinking about what would it be if God just stepped into your life right now and said, Hi, how you doing? You know, in middle age, we're, we're settled. And He says, Sell it all. Pack your stuff in the truck and let's go. Where? I'll show you. Think about that. God, we know where Abraham's going. Because we know, most of us know the rest of the story. He's going to the land of Canaan. But Abram doesn't know that yet. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 uh, says this, By faith Abraham, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. We think that moving and traveling is hard now. Can you imagine going at that time to a place you're packing to go somewhere you don't even know and there's no planes, there's no trucks, there's no cars, there's feet and donkeys and camels. There's no motels, there's no fast food restaurants. There's no ATMs. <laughs> There's no cell phones to call anybody. There's no map quest. No GPS navigation. This is an adventure. 
It's whatever we can load on our animals and carry on our backs and what and we're going and we're walking. Ultimately, the journey is about 750 miles. We know where He's going, but He doesn't know. God says, I'm going to show you, but God didn't pull out the, you know, the brochures. Hey, I'm going to send you to Canaan. Here's a little thing from the Chamber of Commerce. You might like it. There's pictures of sailboats on the, you know, on the Sea of Galilee. There's information about the golf courses and the Club Med on the, you know, there on the beach on the coast. And none of that. He didn't know where it was, and even if he did, he didn't have Google, so he could Google it and take a virtual tour of, oh, there's Canaan. Yeah, if you like, can't do that. And and God has been very specific about what you need to leave behind: your country. All familiar surroundings, your family, all your familiar people, your family and friends, and your culture, and your father's household, all your security. You're leaving all that behind, and but the details about what's ahead are very sketchy. Place I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna build you a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. All kinds of good stuff there, but then there's small things that are a little kind of, you know, when you, you read that part about I'll bless those who curse you, there's a pretty good hint there that this isn't going to be a, you know, a vacation. I wonder if we can even imagine doing that. If it were you, would you do it? Guys, can you imagine going home and telling your wife about this? Hi, honey, you'll never believe what happened today. God talked to me. He said we're moving. Where? Uh, he said he'll show us. Can you imagine? Can you imagine telling your friends about it? They think you're nuts. It's, it really is remarkable that Abraham does this. He steps out. And this is where Abraham's story, I think, becomes particularly precious to us. See, we know it's history. We know this happened as we go and we read this. And it is God who is telling us here on the pages of Scripture, here's what happened and here's how I got the Savior to you. It is great history, but it's more than just history. Because His story is given to us for an example. It's something for you and me to learn from. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and, and he said these things were written down. These things in the past were written down for our learning. So that through them we might have encouragement and hope. Abraham's story is here not just to, to fill us in on the details of what happened in the past, but to be an example for us. The one who is called, again in Romans later, Paul calls him the father of, of our faith. And we are called the children of Abraham by faith. Abraham becomes an example of faith because in a very real way, his story 
is very similar to our story. As God calls him into this adventurous life to step out, God is likewise calling you and me to strike out in a life of faith and to follow him. You see, God has given to you and to me many promises Talk about our future in heaven, but many of the details of that are kind of blurry. And even fewer about what tomorrow will bring in our life. If if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, what is that going to mean tomorrow? Like Abraham, the promises are great. Rewards in heaven. God's presence with us. I will never leave you or forsake you. He has good works planned for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 And yet the details are very fuzzy. And just like for Abraham to step out is kind of scary. But like Abraham, God's calls for our faith to be in Him. For us to trust in Him as a person, not in just in a plan. Yet Abraham, in faith, he steps out. And as he leaves country and family and surroundings, and by the way, whenever follow, we follow God in faith, it involves a leaving, a separation. When you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we go to follow Him, it will automatically involve a leaving of something else. J. Vernon McGee, the old radio preacher, said it always so well. He said, friends, when you turn to God, you automatically turn your back to something else. You cannot turn to Him without turning your back on something else. And he's so right. And so it is when we turn to Christ, we automatically turn our back to the world. We cannot be both a friend of God and friend of the world. James and John both say that in their letters. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. When we turn to Him, we turn away. There's a leaving. And that's a scary thing because we wonder what's in the future. So Abram's story as we go through becomes our story. We'll learn. So he's an example for us. But not only is he an example... I see here in this passage, he's an imperfect example. And we'll see that more as his story unfolds. And I would add to this little thing, I would say he's an imperfect example, thankfully. Say, Pastor, why would you say that's a thankful thing? Because I appreciate so much that when God, in His Word, presents to us people like Abraham, a hero of the faith, He doesn't show Abraham as an ideal person. He shows Abraham as he really was. I don't know about you, but when my picture's taken, I love it when you go to a photographer and they take your picture and they don't show it to you. They go in a back room and some artist sits there and they paint a different you on top of you. Then they bring this picture out and you say, wow, I look good. <laughs> Called airbrushing. And we love airbrushing because we really don't like to look at ourselves like we really are. But the fact is, we're flawed, aren't we? And when God shows us the picture of Abraham, He, he shows Abraham with all the flaws. 
with all the warts and the wrinkles and the and that's good news because what I realize is if God can take a flawed man like Abraham and turn him into a great man of faith, the hero of faith, I realize that God can do a great work in you and a great work in me. He can do a great work in flawed people. That's why his story is so good and it's so encouraging to us. Let me show you in this passage very quickly where I see that. I notice, you see here in, in verse 4, Abram left as the Lord told him and Lot went out with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out. He took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated in Haran. The Haran is up there on the map. You can see that. And it says, and they set out, and at the end of verse 5, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And we go, that's great. Abraham listened to God. He obeyed. He went. He got there. And it's good. And we go, that's a great story. But that's not the whole story. See, there's, there's more to it. Um, you go over a couple of chapters and you see that in Genesis 15, 7, God says, I am the Lord. He's talking to Abraham who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, or the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. And we go, wait a minute. Abram came from Haran. He was called out of Haran. And God says, no, I brought you out of Ur. Well, what's that? Well, Ur's a different town. It's down here in southern Mesopotamia, current day, current Iraq. We go back from chapter 12 to chapter 11. There's a genealogy as we see Abe's family tree and we discover there at the end of chapter 11, his father, whose name is Terah, verse 31, says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, who's Abram's brother, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Abram's wife, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So from Ur, they all go. But when they came to Haran, they settled there and they stayed there until Terah dies. By the way, Ur, just a couple of quick things, Ur is no small little dusty desert town. Abram wasn't some just desert rat who's longing to get away from, you know, the old western uh, dusty little small town. He's just sitting there longing for some way out of this town. And God comes and says, hey, Aaron, let, uh, Abraham, let's go. Instead, we archaeologists tell us that Ur was a booming metropolis. It was a very advanced and a very wealthy place. It had a library, a university, buildings with skilled craftsmanship, houses with running water, and even hot tubs. <laughs> they piped in hot water from hot springs. Very advanced place. So it wasn't just an easy place to live. Again, it was challenging to say goodbye to all that. And it may seem weird as well that they're trying to go from over here in Ur to over here in Canaan and they go way up here to Haran and that may seem weird except for the fact that would be the normal way to go. You see, that's the trade routes go up that way. That's the well-traveled roads and there's a good reason to do that because between here and here is a really bad desert. <laughs> and so they went the normal way but they get two-thirds of the way up there to Haran and they stop and they stay there. Put it all together. Abe was first called in Ur, his home, his birthplace. Don't know how old he was, but God calls him 
We know that because Stephen tells us that in Acts chapter 7 where he says that God first calls him in Ur. So, God calls him. And God says, leave your country. And He does that. But He says, leave your family and your father's household. And we see Dad coming along. Matter of fact, in chapter 11 of Genesis, it says, Dad took Abram. God calls Abram, but somehow Dad comes along. And Dad is even leading the charge. We don't know why. My thinking is God calls Abram and Abram is so excited by what God has said, by his encounter with God and his belief in God. He's sharing this with family and friends. And Dad says, hey, that sounds great. I'm going to go along. But it so often happens when Dad gets involved, we kind of take over. (laughs) And Abram's project becomes Tara's project. And now they go and they get up to Haran and Dad stops it. And they stop there until Dad dies. And now we pick up at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and you see here's the key thing. It says, the Lord had said to Abram. Not the Lord said to Abram right then. It says God had already called him. However many years before it was, God had already called him. And now Abraham either remembers or maybe God speaks again and says, Abram, let's go. And after years of staying in Haran, they pick up again and they move and this time they go to Canaan. That's the story. Why do I mention all that? It's because of this. The call was made in Ur and it said go and it said leave all these things and Abraham didn't leave all those things. They came along with him. And two-thirds along the way he stops for however long, two years, five years, ten years, we don't know. And I find that comforting. You see, Abraham's obedience wasn't perfect. And his faith was small. He missed some spots along in obeying. And that ended up with delays. And we see him here as he does many times in his, in, in his life. He falters, he stumbles, he falls. Yet still, when God says move, he moves. He obeyed in faith, and even though it was small faith, and I realize that mirrors my life. Does it mirror yours? Have you ever known that God wanted you to do something or not do something, and you messed up? You got a little scared, and you did it halfway and not all the way. Have you messed up? How comforting it is to know that God didn't give up on Abraham, and He doesn't give up on you. And He works even with our small faith and our faltering faith and our stumbling faith and He keeps working with us even as Paul wrote and he said, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I find that such good stuff. I notice one more thing. I notice that not only was God's... Was Abraham... uh, Is He an example, an imperfect example, but He's an example of God's gracious call. I wonder why did God call Abraham from Ur? Ur, we find out from history and archaeology that it is a center of idolatry and and of all kinds of of just godless stuff. I wonder, was Abraham just a shining light, a godly man in this godless place? And we find out, no, he wasn't. In the book of Joshua, God speaks, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, 
and Nahor lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from that land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. The implication is that not only was Terah, his father, an idolater and a pagan, but so was Abraham. He was a pagan man in a pagan place and God reached in and rescued him and saved him. And you see, I realize that that's our story as well. And I don't care what you looked like on the outside before Christ. You may have looked like a pagan or you may have looked like an upstanding, nice, good person. But the reality is every one of us were pagans before God rescued us. We were rebellious and idolatrous and sinful in our hearts. And only the grace of God, it was only by the grace of God that He reached down into our hearts and and He called us out to Himself. That's the good news here. It's a gracious call. It's not because we're good. Not because we're lovely and and, uh, God just can't stand to be without you because you're so cool. God is so gracious that He rescued me and you. The last thing I want to look at, we've, we've looked at God's call to Abram. We looked at the obedience of Abram. Lastly, I just want to look at the blessing of Abraham. The last five verses Abraham, as as he finishes up this passage, he has left Haran and he arrives now into this land of promise, the land of Canaan. And Abram gets there. And if we go back to to the initial call and the initial promise, there's lots of talk about blessing. Now we come over here and and Abe lands in Canaan. And I look at verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Mori at Shechem. Look at this. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, can you just imagine? I go to Tom one day. I say, hi, Tom. Hey, buddy, follow me. I'm going to build you into a great nation. I've got a great future for you. Come follow me. Sell everything you got. Load up the U-Haul. Let's go. And you do. And we go out and you follow me and you end up in West Texas. First of all, you're going, West Texas? This is it? And then we pull up to the house and here it is. Here's what I've got for you. And there's people living there in your house. Abraham arrives in his land and there's people living there. Did you see? Did you notice that? And the Canaanites are powerful people. They are wicked people. Interesting. goes on. Verse 7, you move on down to the next verse. The Lord appeared to Abram and says, To your offspring I will give you this land. To your offspring I will give this land. Interesting. This land is going to your offspring, not you, Abraham. Verse 8, it goes on. From there he went to the hills of Bethel and he pitched his tent. It's significant. It doesn't say he hired a real estate agent. What does a tent mean? It means I'm here passing through. He didn't hire a real estate agent. He didn't start pulling out, you know, he didn't call up an architect and start drawing up plans for his beachside mansion and his mountain retreats. He pitches his tent. All of this to say that Abraham. I believe at this point very well understands whether he understood it from the very first back in Ur or whether he's 
God has revealed it along the way. But at this point, Abraham understands this. I am here in this place for a purpose that is far bigger than me. That the blessings and the promises are not about now. Rather, I'm here not for my personal good, but for a bigger good. And I'm not here for earthly blessing, but I'm here for something better. Something eternal. Say, Pastor, where do you see that in this passage? Well, I, it's, that's not clearly here in this passage, but it's very clear in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, writing about Abraham and the other patriarchs, says this, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. But listen, they admitted that they were strangers and aliens on earth. See, earth isn't the place they're looking for the promise. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. And so it was with Abraham and so it is with you and me. When we start off in this journey of faith and following God and following Jesus Christ, we have to realize that the real payoff is not here, it's there. Because we are like Abraham, we are strangers and aliens on earth. Our Abraham's home where he was going really wasn't Canaan. Abraham's home is heaven. We've got to keep that in mind. The real blessings that we look for aren't on earth, they're in heaven. In the meantime, there may be some loneliness as you leave family and friends and country. There may be some hurt. There may be some disappointments. But this isn't our home. There are still blessings and it's still good because we're walking with the Lord and Abraham had lots of blessings along the way. But he was looking for heaven. One last thing, and that was he realized it's not only not about now, it's not about me. Going back to that second command where it's be a blessing. I just want to see quickly here one thing. When he let her on, it says he took his wife Sarah, verse 5, his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired. In Hebrew, that word people is actually the word nefesh, which means soul. The souls of the people. And some people would say that what Abraham took here was that he got rich in Haran and he acquired servants and he was bringing along all the people that they had bought and, and acquired their servants, their slaves. I think an equally valid way to read this, and I think it's the proper way, and it's the way that historically many of the Jewish scholars and rabbis read this, is the souls there are not servants and slaves. It's Abraham as he's in Haran up there. Abraham has taken serious this thing of be a blessing, be my man, be my messenger. And he's talked to people about his encounter with Yahweh. And people have said, if you're following Yahweh, I want to follow Yahweh too. As the souls of people who have become believers in Yahweh, it's these people who follow Abraham now to Canaan. We find Abraham as he comes to Shechem, he builds an altar. As he comes to Bethel, he builds an altar. It says in both cases, these are public things. It wasn't something done in a back room. It's something done out in public near the place 
by these trees where probably the Canaanites are worshiping. Abraham builds an altar to the Lord, to Yahweh, and he worships Yahweh. And in so doing, he proclaims to all the people around, there is a God, the Maker of heaven and earth. And He has spoken. And Abraham has taken seriously this part of the commandment to be a blessing. And may I say just again, applying this to you and me, the blessings of being a follower of Jesus Christ, they're not about now, it's also not about me. Faith always moves us outwards. You see? So it's not I'm in this for what I can get. It's as I've come to know and to walk with Jesus Christ, I must tell others about the One that I love and that I serve. I want to just end with one little thing. I read about a man named Joseph Chamberlain, famous British statesman back from a century or so ago, who is known for his determination and his iron will. He had a favorite verse of Scripture, and it was right here in our passage, the last half of verse 5, where it says, They set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. This was his favorite verse because he says in here there are the two qualifications, the two keys for success in life. He says the first one is, it says they set out for the land of Canaan. You and I need to have the right destination. And secondly, he says they arrive there. Once you start, keep going. May I say that that is the example of Abraham for us to follow, have the right destination. Our destination is to follow Christ. And once we do, we need to keep going. Keep going. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the example in this man. Thank You first for the fact that through Abraham You brought us the good news because You provided a Savior through Him, Jesus who has rescued us from sin. But also now you provided Him as an example to teach us and encourage us because it's easy for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to get distracted. It's easy for us to end up like Abraham did, to get sidetracked, to fall down, to stumble, and to waste some time up in Haran. I'm so thankful that in Your grace You keep working with us and moving us. And Lord, if we follow You. You are faithful to complete the work that has started to bring us in to the land of promise one day where we will be with You forever. So Father, I pray that You would help us to follow this example to make it our aim to follow Christ once we have begun to not quit follow You even this week with all of our heart. This we ask in Jesus' name.